You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Danny Fingeroth, and you are listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is The Amazing Spider-Man, um, episode 22A, Round Robin. Uh, this is covering a period of Spider-Man in 1991. And uh, I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm your Spider-Man co-host, Adam Chapman. And I should say right away off the bat, uh, we are going to be talking about The Amazing Spider-Man Epic Collection, Round Robin. But... We're going to be splitting this into two parts. So in this episode, we'll be talking about the Round Robin uh, miniseries, the six—I mean, the six-part series, the six-part story. And then in the next episode, we'll talk about the annuals and the remaining episodes. Um, the the two the cardiac there's two cardiac episodes and a graphic novel in this book, and we'll lump those all together. And I say that we're going to do it this way because if we just went halfway through the book and then stopped, we'd be in the middle of the uh, the Round Robin story. So I figure it's better to kind of clump them together. That, what do you think, Adam? I think that's uh, the way to go. I mean, uh, yeah, it's kind of a, a weird collection if you try to do it in your kind of typical format. So uh, kind of splicing it up like that definitely makes a lot of sense. And I don't think we need to worry about continuity. The only continuity-specific thing in the annuals that places it before Round Robin... Uh, is the fact that uh, in the annuals they discover Antarctic vibranium, and Antarctic vibranium is what the Tri-Sentinel is composed of. Mm, that's right. In that in the Nova story that comes just before Round Robin, which we'll tackle today. So that's the only real thing we need to know uh, as far as the book's continuity, but is there anything else that we should know uh, going into this epic collection? Uh, I guess, you know, well, I mean, Peter's married to Mary Jane... They have the kind of their status quo. You know, to be honest, I'm not sure. <laughs> like, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, there's nothing really that any specific signposts that are things you need to worry about. Just the fact that Peter and MJ are a married couple. They're kind of over the uh, the, the kind of the drama years of the Michelini and uh, McFarlane years. And then we're, we're embracing a new period. That's true. It's actually kind of a nice jumping on point if you want to jump on right here to brand new Spider-Man. Like, it's 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 good to go. And this, especially this storyline, the Round Robin storyline, is pretty self-contained. Now, there is there is actually some continuity that you should know, which we'll talk about, uh, Moon Knight continuity that you should know mm. about, that we'll talk about when we address the listener comments. Which is pretty funny, that you're, you're going into an Amazing Spider-Man epic. What do you need to know? Well, some Moon Knight stuff. <laughs> yes, that's right. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty important. Plays a big part. Spider-Man, don't worry about him. As long as you've read Moon Knight, you're good. I asked a poll on Twitter 
asked people to give their response to vote for the response. My question was, who's your favorite guest star in the round robin story? And I, mm. I, I qualified that by saying, not counting Punisher, who I'd assume would win if an option. <laughs> so your options are Darkhawk, Moon Knight, Nova, and Night Thrasher. What would hmm. you say to this, Adam? I think I feel like I answered the poll and I don't remember. Um, I, I like Nova, but having read the storyline, I actually like Moon Knight too. So you'd probably give it a toss-up between Nova and Moon Knight. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Not Night enough. Thrasher. He's just. He, I don't think he's well served by the story. I'd probably go with Moon Knight because I really like Moon Knight in general. Plus, it's a Moon Knight story. Plus, it's a Moon Knight story. Yeah, but just in terms of the way these characters act and perform in here, I, I think Moon Knight, it's either like Darkhawk gets a lot of screen time as well, and he does pretty well in this book. Um, but I think Moon Knight's my favorite. Okay. So the, the poll results, though, I got tied for last place is Moon Knight and Night Thrasher with 21% of the votes. And tied, tied for first place is Darkhawk and Nova with 20... Ooh. What? Yeah, um, with 29% of the votes. So the question is, of those, how many do you think are Danny Fingeroth? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think you're only allowed to vote once unless he has multiple Twitter handles. So I don't know. <laughs> True. <laughs> okay, so listener comments. I asked on Facebook and Instagram if you could give me your comments about the Red Robin story or this epic collection in general. So here are some comments. Ben says... There are both some good and bad things about this collection. The good, actually the great, is the beginning of Mark Begley's amazing Spider, Spider-Man run. The bad is most of the stories. The, <laughs> the connected annual stories were pretty boring, and the round-robin story that guest writer Al Milgram did was just pandering to the fans. There was little to no story there, ex- just an excuse to have a bunch of guest stars like Nova, Moon Knight, Darkhawk, etc. If only we could have had an appearance by Night Monkey. <laughs> the fact that the extras include samples of Bagley's Marvel tryout book pages is excellent. I don't think most people remember that he was the winner of that contest, and look at just how far he's taken that opportunity. Recommended if you really love Bagley's art, but otherwise there are far better Spider-Man books. To, to piggyback on that, I was at a panel what, 10, 11 years ago when Mark Bagley was in Toronto, and he was uh, there was some comment he made and he, basically about being in the Marvel tryout and how before that he'd been like a roofer, and like he obviously had to do really hard work, and then he was you know, obviously the break of a lifetime to be an artist. And he said, you know, I'll never be the best artist, but damn if anyone's going to ever work harder than me, um, because again, he had a really strong work ethic. Because he, you know, he was a you know a laborer, a tradesperson. Like he didn't have, he wasn't used to kind of coming up through being an artist. And so this was an amazing opportunity, and it's, it definitely feels like something he's never forgotten. Um, the idea that he'll, he'll, no, no one will ever work harder than Mark Bagley. No one can put out the amount of pages besides maybe Jack Kirby that Mark Bagley can. And part of that's because of that amazing work ethic. And again, it's because he came up through kind of a fluke of, you know, obviously having the talents, but what if they didn't have a tryout that year? He may not have ever had a chance. Like, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, that's a cool perspective, actually. That's really neat to to know that kind of behind the scenes. I've been trying to get a, a, a Mark Bagley interview and it just hasn't happened yet. I'll get there eventually. That's my bucket list. If I ever get Mark, ba- if I ever get to talk to Mark Bagley, I feel like I would just wrap up my show and be like, "I'm done. See you yeah. guys." Like, that <laughs> yeah. was the one. You know, like that's. I feel like that's one of the most important artists that got me into comics. And I feel like if I ever talked to him, I'd be like, "Well, I've achieved everything I wanted to do. I'm good." Nice. Well, let's hope that happens someday. Well, I, I, part of me is like, "Yeah, <laughs> yes, I want it to happen." Part of me is like, "Well, then I gotta end the podcast because I've said it a lot." So. <laughs> 
Okay, so more comments here from our listeners. Winnofair85 says, I always felt that this was the era where the writing really started to take a turn for the worst. Not enough to make this collection bad, but it had taken a step down from the previous ones Michelini wrote. Hmm. Would you say that this is when it takes a turn for the worst? Because there's some, there's some good stories coming up uh, in, in the volumes after Round Robin. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know if that's necessarily fair. Um, I think there is still some good stuff that's coming up that Michelini is going to be writing. Um, it definitely starts to become a different beast because you have marketing and, and or kind of the corporate editorial getting more involved which eventually Michelini will leave, and then we'll see a lot more of that interference. But some of the stories were still good. I mean, it's very easy to kind of lump it all together and say it all kind of went downhill. But there were some turds in the last few years leading up to this point as well. Right. You know, we're able to forgive it partially because, you know, Michelini, for better or for worse, was kind of able to say, who's my artist? Let me kind of write to that, and we'll take it as it, as it comes. You know, he had amazing artists, so that I think helped a lot. But, you know, his writing wasn't necessarily the best during this period of his of his career but he had amazing artists pulling him up um and he was again tailoring it to them as opposed to maybe writing the best michelani script he was writing you know the best script for x uh it reminds me when i when i talked to steve englehart it was englehart yeah a while back when he was talking about his first run on batman he didn't know marshall rogers he just kind of put together a script that was airtight and marshall rogers did an amazing job with it but i because i was i was floored because i was like what was this collaboration like? It's such an amazing combination of writing and art. And he's like, I had to, I was going on a trip to Europe. I knew I wouldn't have a chance to talk to anyone about it. I had to make an airtight script that it could be, you know, almost anyone could do it. And Marshall Rogers ended up doing an amazing job with it. But it was just kind of bonkers how that sometimes works. And whereas here, this feels like Michelini starts tailoring it to who he's writing to and not necessarily, this is my best script and hopefully someone can figure this out. Hmm. Would you say that's correct or not? I, I would. I would probably say so. Again, there's still some good stories. Okay, so Josh says, while I don't have this as an epic collection, I do have all the amazing Spider-Man issues in floppy form. Issue 356 was part of a trio of Spidey comics that were my first ever comics. Oh, wow. Yeah. I went and bought the rest of the Round Robin arc and read it over and over again. It has since become my favorite comic book arc. Uh, hmm. see, seeing Spidey team up with Moon Knight, Punisher, Night Thrasher, Dark Hawk, and Nova was epic, and it made me a big fan of all those characters as well. While the Secret Empire is kind of an inept as it as a threatening organization, I think Midnight is a pretty formidable villain. A sort of gives me a sort of a Winter Soldier vibe in both design and character. Hero Psychic turned into a villain by an e- evil organization. That's the that's the hmm. Winter Soldier bend to it. Uh, after Round Robin, there's also a Spidey story with Cardiac, who is very underrated, in my opinion. His costume is awesome, and his backstory and motivation is pretty interesting. Glad you're getting around to reviewing this book. Interested in hearing your thoughts on it. So thanks, Josh. It is interesting how incredibly polarized this is. Like, some people absolutely love it. Other people are like, this is the worst. And it just goes to show different opinions and such. For sure. Well, And also, I mean, and I don't mean in any way to you know, take away from, from Josh's comments. But part of it is also, you know, nostalgia. I mean, it was the first yep. comics he fell in yep. love with. I mean, I love Maximum Carnage. It's not good, but I love it. Like, it's, you know, it intrinsically has so many problems with it. But I grew up on it as a kid. I loved it. I, you know, I, I took me years to eventually have every issue and read it all. But, you know, I, I love that that storyline. I played the video game. Like, there's so much wrapped in in that, that even though I know it intrinsically is not actually that good. Um, it has a lot of issues. I, I can't help but love it anyway. So, you know, I, again, I'm not trying to take anything away from Josh, but I think that's part of it. So the Maximum Carnage Epic Collection has been announced, 
and it's coming out early 2020. And I can't wait to talk to you about it, Adam, because uh, <laughs> it's going to be great. Oh, it's going to be it's going to be something. Um, yeah, <laughs> and I'm I, I'm very excited about it because again, I hold it, I love it. It's it's not great, but I love it anyway, and I'm really excited to talk about it. And just the fact that when they announced it, and obviously a lot of people are talking about the fact that there's very few Amazing Spider-Man issues in it. Um, and even like getting up to, cause what is it volume? You said it was volume 25, right? Yeah. So in the next two volumes, we're only getting what, like maybe 16, 17 issues of Amazing Spider-Man. So mm-hmm. not a lot. Yeah. They're going to pad it with a bunch of other stuff that I don't know. So that's, that's pretty cool. I'm very excited for that to happen. Yeah. I, when the minute I saw that, I'm like, yes, we get to talk about maximum carnage. Okay. Frank has a comment and he says, I remember having great fun when I read round Robin back in the days, but I bought this Epic and read it again. And got so bored. I felt I felt the story was way too slow, and I was happy when it was over. Yeah, uh, the two issues by Chris Marinin were okay. I like the Ross Andrew graphic novel for old times' sake. The annuals were not so great too. In in the end, a rather weak volume for me. Hmm. That's a pretty fair assessment, I think. Yeah. I, I feel like that, you know, yeah, I, I think that's kind of what everyone kind of expects when you get to this period. Yeah. I think I'll enjoy the next volume more than this one. But I, again, Round Robin, as you said, is polarizing and it kind of goes either way. And having all those annuals really, you know, it kind of diverts a little bit of the flow because we've had previous volumes where it's been chock full of just the ASM issues in like one annual and, and it feels great. And then you get to here where it feels like, okay, well, what, where are we going? Yeah. Okay, I have one more comment. Now, when we, when I was first thinking about doing this episode, I reached out to my friend Ray, who runs a podcast called Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. Oh. And I wanted to see if he would want to do the six issues with us. But unfortunately, when we went to record this, he's, he has, he's having some uh, family illness issues uh, that mm. he has to deal with, which is unfortunate. But he recorded a little uh, comment for me to play, uh, and I'm going to splice it into the episode here, and he's going to give us some backstory to Midnight's character, and tell us what we need to know about Midnight going into this uh, this episode, which is fantastic. Alright. So I'm going to play that here, and then we'll jump right into the issues. Okay. Curtis and Adam, this is Ray from Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast, and look, I'm just uh, dropping in some of my thoughts on the Round Robin epic collection uh, for your consideration on the show. Uh, anyway, so I wanted to just to talk holistically about the Epic Collection itself before getting into the Round Robin um, arc, which is the basically the main feature of this Epic Collection. Um, firstly, I guess overall the Epic Collection was uh, pretty decent. I, I felt that um, it wasn't the greatest in the sense that um, I guess the the likes of the Vibranium Vendetta uh, didn't really capture me as well as a lot of the artwork was I felt a little um, a little flat. Um, I'm a big fan of Mark Bagley's and obviously the Round Robin arc I think was a, a massive standout. Um, but yeah, the likes of the Spider-Man story of um, what was it of uh, Fear itself. And also in the the annuals, which made up the Vibranium Vendetta, I found the art a little lackluster. Um, so that was a little disappointing. Uh, the good things of about the the extras, though, is that uh, I did enjoy the little shenanigans with the outlaws and forming them through um, Silver Sable, Sandman, um, 
as well as looking at some of these lesser known characters like the rocket racer which i think is, is pretty cool uh, and prowler as well um, were were pretty fun to to read uh, some of the other backup stories in the annuals i felt were yeah a little throwaway as well uh, i did enjoy the hobgoblin origin retelling uh, but the likes of the story with eddie brock and venom i felt was a little meh if, if, if anything um, so yeah that was a little disappointing um, book ending the round robin uh, i did enjoy the cardiac stories towards the end uh, on the other side of uh, the round robin stories uh, they were quite good i'm I really love to see Cardiac back in the current comics. Uh, he's got a very particular look. Uh, and look, his history is quite stock standard, I guess. It's a typical vengeance one. It's just kind of dressed differently um, to your, say, Punishers or, or your Night Thrashers. Um, but he's still kind of an interesting enough character. Uh, kind of walks a fine line. So I enjoyed that as well. So apart from Round Robin, I'd say the Cardiac stories were were um, the second best out of this epic collection. Now, the Round Robin arc itself. Now, this is a cracker of a read. It's so typically 90s. Um, first thing, I love, I love, love, love the the puns um, that are kind of peppered throughout this. Uh, Darkhawk uses it, um, and then you also see Midnight use it to his own effect, um, you know, later on in, in the story. Uh, it was great to have such a big team up of all these characters, really good to see, and obviously uh, vested interest in myself of uh, seeing Moon Knight in on the action, and and of course he's integral in it because he has this particular relationship with Midnight, and um, just for Curtis and, and for Adam, um, I found the the history of Midnight um, connecting through to this story arc. Uh, in some ways quite consistent, but in others, uh, there are a lot of gaps in it. I mean, typically, Jeff Wilde, who was the son of Anton Mogart, which was the original Midnight Man in, uh, in Mark Spector Moon Knight, uh, he approaches Mark in the Mark Spector Moon Knight comics, and he uh, would like to be the, kind of like the sidekick to, to Moon Knight. Um, Mark is against this and constantly kind of fobs him off, but he constantly returns wanting to prove himself. Almost um, initially, he wants to prove himself that he um, he's better or, you know, is kind of making up for his dad's mistakes. Um, but his motives kind of skew up and down. And... Uh, there's a slow unraveling, I guess, of his psychosis. Uh, he, uh, you know, he's foiled again and again as a sidekick. He's, you know, he's, he's quite adept um, in fighting, but he's not the best. Anyway, um, while Mark is away in, there's an arc called The Trial of Mark Spector. He's away overseas. Jeff Wilde comes in and uh, he, he assumes the identity of Moon Knight. So he actually, uh, funnily enough, he buys a, a costume from a Halloween store or costume store and he masquerades as Moon Knight to, I guess, one, to show that he's just as good um, or he can do the job that Moon Knight can do. But also he wants to kind of discredit Moon Knight as well. So his motives are kind of blurred um, and this kind of runs through to Round Robin as well. So what happens later on in Mark Spector Moon Knight 
is that uh, he meets a, a grizzly end. He gets shot by the Secret Empire. And uh, again, there's a bit of an ambiguity as to whether he wanted to prove to Mark that he is a hero um, and, you know, or, or whether he... Um, yeah, he had any other motives to to go into the line of fire. What does happen in Round Robin is that he becomes quite um, spiteful towards Moon Knight because Moon Knight didn't save him. So again, there's kind of a bit of an inconsistency with uh, what his intentions were when he did kind of take that hit from the Secret Empire. Um, but then, you know, again, expecting Moon Knight to have saved him or to have been there for him. Um, admittedly, he, he goes through quite a traumatic experience with um, being turned into a cyborg, um, so that could screw with his mind. Uh, but all this kind of culminates in him being basically a maniacal uh, bad guy who looks pretty cool in the round robin. Um, if anything, his his um, aesthetic looks... Um, is pretty sleek in that black suit and he's is powered up as well uh, also incidentally just finally he does turn up again in the charlie houston run um, of 2006 uh, in a more grisly almost max like uh, appearance where he again comes to taunt mark or moon knight uh, in his cyborg self uh, it gets quite graphic uh, and he's quite a um, a psychotic character but uh, in the round robin uh, he uh, I don't know like anything in the 90s uh, there's a bit of a smirk when you do read it um, there's no real dark grittiness at stake here um, and it was just fun fun to see Nova Night Thrasher Punisher all these guys get together um, and um, I was happy to see Moon Knight kind of portrayed decently in this Albeit at the end, uh, he does kind of um, kind of throw away this idea of of midnight anyway, saying, "Oh well, he died, but you know, so be it. I wasn't really attached to him anyway." So that well, that was a bit of uh, a bit of funny writing from Michelini there. But anyway, um, a great arc, and uh, look forward to both of your reviews of of, um, of this epic collection as a whole. And uh, thanks for hearing my thoughts. Catch you later. Okay, let's dive into the issues. We're going to start here with issue number 351. Issue number 351 is called The Three Faces of Evil. And we see the return of the Tri-Sentinel, which is a, a, a character, if you can call him a character, which is a giant robot that we met previously in the Cosmic Adventures epic collection. Spidey had cosmic powers when he fought him that time, but he doesn't have cosmic powers this time. So he needs to enlist the help of someone who does have cosmic powers. So he teams up with Nova. This yeah. I apologize for cutting you off, but I can't help but yep. be drawn to the fact that you have this opening page and there's so much white space, which is weird. And also the the um, the colors on the three faces of evil just feels like it, it's for like a different book. Like you have this green evil with like I guess sludge kind of off of it, and I'm like, this has nothing to do thematically with anything inside. Like the title does, but not the coloring. It's just a weird choice. You're absolutely right, and like the the, the slime makes me think of venom or something like that, but not a a robot, a giant robot. <laughs> not a robot. No. 
and again, a lot of white space here, and like you have like this inset image, but a lot of white space, which definitely would have grabbed your eye when you opened it up, that's for sure. But it's just interesting that there there's really not a lot on that first page. Well, keep in mind that underneath the box would have been the the legal matter. Uh, I guess that's true. Uh, they did. They hide. They hide it other places now. Yeah. But they would have put that right on the front here. So it wouldn't have been as jarringly white, I think, as as it looks here. Hmm. But uh, but this issue is notable for being the first issue uh, with a new regular penciler, Mark Begley. And I know you are Woo-hoo! a really big Mark Begley fan. Oh, for sure. It's interesting how he comes in here so well-formed. Like, obviously, he wasn't brand new. He'd been doing New Warriors. But it just he feels like he comes on board Spider-Man and has a very clear idea of... Like, his Spider-Man is not going to change that much over the years when he's doing 616 Spidey. And this is, you know, it's a testament to his development and the fact that he had such a clear idea of what his Spider-Man was going to look like right from the beginning. Well, not just Spider-Man, but Peter Parker, Mary Jane, like all of these characters, the supporting cast. I think Bagley's just been a fan of Spider-Man for so long that he knows these characters really well. And so when he got the chance to draw them, he already had... Uh, he already had the idea in his head of what they were going to look like. And you can see sort of influences of of past artists. Like there's some Romita in him. There's some Eric Larson in him. Uh, there's there's even some Todd McFarlane in, in him. These are the recent people who have mm-hmm. been on Spider-Man. And, and yeah, very, very cool to see him early on and already a great, great storyteller. Absolutely. It's just, it's just really, it's, it's just thrilling looking at his pages. Like I'm just not, I'm never bored by them. Even if the story isn't always up to par, um, there's just something about his art. It's just, it, it's got a great sense of style and storytelling is always strong. And it, you never have to really wonder what's happening in this page. It's never too stylized. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I don't want to call myself a Bagley fanboy, but I'm definitely a huge fan of Bagley and his form. And it, right from the beginning, he really nails it. Um, and he does a really, really good giant robot as well. His Tri-Sentinel looks excellent. For sure. Yeah. Now, it's interesting. This actual issue is very kind of a little light on story, but it's fun. You have a you know a team up with uh, with uh, Peter and Nova. And Nova was, you know, kind of the 70s Spider-Man in terms of like the young youth who gets superpowers. Um, so it's kind of cool to have them teaming up. And obviously this would have made a lot of sense for Bagley because he made his bones on the Warriors. So it's a character he's familiar with. So it's kind of a, a natural, uh, you know, combination of characters to ease him into the book. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. And that was probably intentional on uh, David Michelinie's part. Um, I have a little clip of Danny Fingeroth talking about bringing Mark Bagley on board. So I'm going to share that with everybody right now. And through the new war, you know, the new warriors is one of those books that um, nobody took seriously. Right. You know, it was <laughs> it was like it was four or five characters, uh, you know, in in house at Marvel. There was a a, a spoof ad done for the new warriors because you know you know as as you would imagine they were not they were not a they were not uh, except maybe Nova none of them were a list characters or hadn't been for years. Yeah. And so there was a picture of the New Warriors with the joke uh, tagline that said, uh, "Marvel Comics. If you didn't buy them, we couldn't print them." You know, <laughs> I mean, was, in other, you know, in other words, it was like, "Yeah, you, you'll buy anything," which obviously was not true. But you know, in those boom days, it sometimes felt like that. So it was a book that nobody was taking seriously. Yeah. Nobody expected it to be any good. So the fact that um, that it was written and drawn so well 
and maybe edited halfway decently too, you know, was although Fabian and uh, Mark Bagley had both been doing work, before, you know, uh, before this kind of put them on the map. It was this book that everybody thought would be terrible and uh, at best mediocre, and turned out to be great. You know, yeah. so so that you know, so, and and what it also demonstrated to me was that uh, Bagley was uh, incredibly dependable, not just talented, but you know, a guy who uh, hit deadlines. Um, so that's that's especially when you're doing interrelated comics like Spider-Man. Um, that's a very important thing. So, um, that, that, so, so when Larson, you know, uh, left also to go to Image, Bagley had been doing. Uh, I knew his, I knew his work obviously, and I also had seen him draw Spider-Man both in the story he and I did, and some uh, uh, one-offs he did for Salakrup, and maybe some other stuff I'm forgetting. But he uh, he was. You know, he was the logical choice. Also, I think if I hadn't hired him, he would have come to New York and beat me up. So, you know, I didn't want that. <laughs> yeah. You know. So, one thing that struck me, and I'm I'm not as familiar with the New Warriors as I probably should be, but Nova kind of comes off as a, a jerk in this issue. Yeah, he kind of was. Like he, I mean, he he definitely was. And the issue of the New Warriors, he was the only who really had like his own main book before and were not the only one, but who had more of a starring role previously. He always was a little bit brash and they definitely play into that here. And I mean, um, I don't remember uh, Richard Ryder ever quite having like the long hair shaggy look that he has here. Uh, it's not the Nova I'm more familiar with. Cause obviously like I, I love the kind of annihilation Nova, which is, you know, 20 years later uh, where they kind of reinvent the character. But right. It's interesting to kind of see him just being this kind of neophyte superhero and uh, teaming up with, What's interesting about this period of Spider-Man is that he starts Spider-Man himself is starting to feel more and more like, you know, the seasoned veteran teaming up with all the young kids. He's not the kid anymore. And I, I don't know when you could really say that really started happening, but it's feeling more prevalent here. And in the next storyline with Rob, uh, Ron Robin, you're definitely going to feel that. Is this one of, I mean, we've already had Carlton Drake before, but I guess this would have predated the Venom miniseries, wouldn't it? Uh, yes. Yes, it would, because that happens... Much later. Um, yeah, when does that happen? I'm not. I'm well, I not think sure. we talked about it. That 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 was published around five. Sorry, three seventy five. Three seventy five. So. So yep, you're right. Yep. This is this is still a while earlier. So it's interesting to see how I forget how long Carlton Drake was around as a character. Uh, in fact, I completely didn't even make the connection that uh, these uh, this is the same Life Foundation that shows up in the Lethal Protector series. That's right. <laughs> He's all over the place. Yep, that's right. And it's interesting. I, like, I guess he was here, and the first, the last time Carlton Drake had been around was actually in a, something we haven't talked about on on this uh, in our run of episodes because he was in the Assassination Nation plot. Um, oh yeah, which is again something we haven't talked about yet. And he actually apparently was also in issues two ninety eight and two ninety nine of Amazing Spider Man, which we have talked about before. Two ninety eight and two ninety nine. That's in the Ghost of the Past um, episode. Uh, no, that's the Venom. Oh, the Venom one. I'm pretty sure that's in Venom because um, that's when McFarlane comes on board with 298 with Chance. Oh, of course, so, and yeah, and um, 300 is the first appearance of Venom. That's right. So it looks like it, it's it's really interesting actually. Looking at Carlton Drake's uh, you know his listings on ComicBookDB.com, I guess this was this would have been his fifth appearance. Uh, previously, as I said, in 288. Uh, sorry, 298, 299, 320, and 321, and now he shows up again. And we'll, we'll see him, you know, in one other storyline, uh, which I guess will be in a future uh, collection. And then he goes right into Lethal Protector. 
you know, that I, I guess that shows how much of an impression Carlton Drake does not make. <laughs> because well, it shows that Michelini likes him. Yeah, for sure. He's definitely a character that Michelini no created does. and wanted to carry through as sort of a, a um, an ongoing guy that kind of pops up and causes problems. But I guess because I forget every single time that he ha- that I've already read a story <laughs> with him in it, he just isn't a memorable character at all. No, I think he, you know what I think what he was trying to do, and if you look at the appearances, it makes a lot of sense. Is that I think Michelini was trying to create his next, his next Justin Hammer, you know that oh. kind of that character who sh- kind of shows up and has connections and does shady stuff and then kind of disappears and then comes back. Because I'm pretty sure he created Justin Hammer as well. That would make that would make sense then. It's a very Justin Hammerish type character. As close as you can get to Justin Hammer without actually being Justin Hammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, do you want to take us through the next issue? Yeah. So, I mean, the next issue kind of uh, ends this team up with uh, with Nova. You have Nova's, you know, captured. Or I like the idea that you know these two characters are definitely uh, outmatched by the Tri Sentinel, and they have to do everything they can to try and stop him. We have Spider Man trying to do everything he can to use the Antarctic vibranium to uh, melt uh, the inside of the uh, the Tri Sentinel and be able to stop him. You have Nova trying to you know rescue people around and try and you know fight him as Spider Man's fighting inside. And that's pretty much the issue. Like, it's a very sim- simple issue, but straightforward. It's fun. Great action. Again, amazing art by Bagley. Um, and then it just kind of ends, you know. It, it's And then they decide that they're going to be friends now. And, uh, you know, they're they're not going to be antagonistic towards one another. They're going to be friends. And that's how they're going to part. And it's very simple. But, you know, not every issue has to be super complicated. And I love it. I love it. It's just it's a two two-part, succinct story where they have a threat and they take care of it and then they move on with their lives. And it doesn't need to have larger repercussions that affect the entire Marvel Universe or anything like that. Um, It's just a fun story. And I like the fact that we have the two different perspectives. Nova is trying to beat the robot from the outside, while Spider-Man's trying to defeat the robot from the inside. And they're working together to try and accomplish that. Absolutely. It's fun stuff. You know, I, 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 sometimes the nineties gets a bad rap and or late eighties or early nineties and, you know, sometimes it deserves it, but you know, there is a time and a place for kind of just a a fun comic that, you know, isn't about a lot of spinning subplots, et cetera. And you can just have kind of straightforward action. I mean, in the, in the, um, the annuals that we just read, that was packed in with so many different characters and subplots, but it it felt fully realized. It didn't just feel like it was haphazard, but it felt like you were dealing with a lot of stuff. Whereas here, Sometimes you can just be simple and it's fun. And again, it's two parallel stories about these two heroes having a team up where they're not actually in the same frame as each other and able to, you know, execute, uh, you know, save the day and, and take out the bad guy. And that's all you need. Yeah. Um, I love the little humorous bit where there's the this couple having a picnic on the park in the park. Then all of a sudden, <laughs> they, they they don't see this massive giant robot coming toward them. They're facing the wrong direction, and Nova sweeps them out of the way just as the foot foot comes crashing down. I like the little humor. That's a pretty bit. classic comic book trope. Yep, yep, it's perfect, and I love it every single time. Uh, I also like how at the <laughs> end uh, they yeah, like you say, they make friends, and Peter fully recognizes that this is him you know, 10 years ago or what, however, whatever the age gap is supposed to be. Oh, for sure. One, th- one, th- one thing I really like about uh, Bagley's era on Spider-Man, I don't know what it is or why I've always loved it, but there's just something he does with some of the action shots where when they've colored it, they don't put in all the detail on the red, like all the webbing. And it's just kind of a blob of red, but I really like it. I don't know why, 
But ever since I was a kid, whenever they have these thoughts, like even on the last page of this issue, where you have Spider-Man kind of jumping down to to talk to uh, Nova, and even the last shot of him before they shake hands, you just see the you know the main outline of his costume. You see the red, but you don't actually see the webbing on it. And it's I don't know if it's just they they couldn't get fine enough with it, but I actually really like that effect. And you'll see throughout the issue, um, page two sixteen of the Epic, you have Spider-Man swinging away from the overloaded tri-signal. Same same effect on there. And I, I've just really always enjoyed that. And it's specific to this era of Spider-Man. Also, again, specifically with Bagley, too. And I just, I've always loved that effect. And it's just something I've always noticed about whoever's coloring Bagley at this period. Yeah, well, I, I think it's more of, uh, I don't know if it's Bagley's choice or if the inker decides not to do that. But if you say that it's through, because Bagley has different inkers. Uh, it's not always Randy Emberlin, although it's often Randy Emberlin. Um, Especially during this period, for sure. Yeah, so I don't know if, if it's their decision, but by removing the webs when Spider-Man is drawn smaller, it just cleans it up. It makes it easier to read. So that's a, for sure. Yeah, it's a great thing. It's a great idea. Something I always loved. I, again, sometimes we like things as kids and we can't really explain why. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, that's the two issues here that kind of uh, kick us off, uh, the kick the regular issues off in the in this epic collection. But let's move on to where the bulk of the story is here. This is... Amazing Spider-Man number 353, Round Robin, The Sidekick's Revenge, part one of six. It's a six-part story. And Marvel had a thing that they used to do in the late 80s, early 90s. We've talked about this in the past episodes where they, during the summer months or at some point in the year, they would make their titles go bi-weekly. So you get two issues a month. And that way you can have a longer story that uh, that's told in a short, still a short amount of time. Of course, comics don't care about that these days. They like to draw things out as long as they can. <laughs> well, they also like to pump out more product and make more money too, right? Right. And so that's kind of what they're doing here is they're pumping out more product. And so this story is unique in that it's not written by uh, David Michelini. It's written by Al Milgram who mm-hmm. I kind of just know, like Al Milgram kind of does a little bit of everything. He does. He's an editor. He's an anchor. He's a writer. He's done everything. Yeah. And I mainly know him as just a, like a penciler or an inker. And so nice to see him uh, doing some writing as well and uh, doing a pretty good job of a story. And, and, but Mark Begley is still on here. And this is something that always amazes me about Begley is that he is fast and he's still good. Because he does all six of these issues, a bi-weekly book, and he does it. He can still do it. I mean, yeah, he does. And there's no, I mean, he did that uh, Trinity book not that long, well, I guess maybe like eight years ago now. But in that book, he was doing like, like 12 to 14 pages every week for a year, which is insane. Yeah. So there's no one who can ever put out him in, I mean, in the modern era of comics, no one who can put up as much quality work in as quick a period as Mark Bagley. I don't think anyone's ever going to dispute that. Yeah. I will say this is early Bagley and you can tell some of the issues he is just doing more of the layouts and it's not quite as fine the pencils. Uh, so he's getting more assist from Emberlin um, as we go further into the storyline. But especially at the beginning, it's, you know, he's, he's still hitting this monthly stride. He hasn't, you know, have realized he has to you know do a lot more work to make this, uh, this project happen. But again, I can't think of any other modern or, you know, 30 year ago penciler who could have done this good a job at this fast a pace. So just before we get into the story, I have Danny Fingeroth here talking about uh, the round robin story and how it came to be. 
let me see. David Michelinie at that point was the uh, regular writer. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember why, but I think David had some issue that was going to make it hard for him to make those, you know, those. that, that was the bi-weekly. That was when the book was coming out. Right. Um, you know, bi-weekly or semi-monthly or whatever. But that, yeah, that was the every, you know the every two weeks. So I think I gave him a break on that and let him move on to the next, whatever the, the next stories in the book were going to be. I knew Al was a good writer or a terrific writer. I'd, I'd worked with him in the eighties. You know, he was writing Spectacular Spider-Man, and uh, you know, I'd seen his writing in general. So I liked working with him. He liked working with me. And um, the Round Robin storyline was actually something I had pitched. So I came up with it, but I was hoping to write it. Um, and Moon Knight was so prominent because I was editing Moon Knight as well. Right. It hadn't developed as a thing for me to write, but it seemed like it would be a, a fun thing to do for you know the three summer months or the six summer issues so i brought al in and uh said this is what i want to do but you know i don't remember you know i don't know i don't know how much i fleshed it out but certainly al did the bulk of the plotting and obviously and and all the scripting i mean it was it was really you know it was my basic premise that al then uh, took and expanded and obviously bagley had the pain in the neck job of having to draw all those <laughs> all those guest stars uh you know but it did you know i'd say al milgram has uh, come up with some of my favorite story titles of all time it's called round robin because at the time the robin miniseries was very popular uh at dc oh yeah so that was sort of that was sort of a little industry in-joke for anybody who, I mean, you know, it made sense in the context, but it was definitely um, a little kind of in-joke, you know, putting the word Robin in the title of the thing. You know, I I, I don't know if I thought anybody would be fooled into buying it because <laughs> they thought Robin would be in it. Right. But if, they, if, if that happened, I wasn't going to, you know, feel that bad about it either. <laughs> okay, so in this story, I think the important thing to know is that it's kind of tying up some loose ends from the Moon Knight series, Mark Spector Moon Knight, which I believe had just been, had it just been canceled or is it still going on at this time? I'm, not, I'm honestly not sure about that. It's it's such a weird storyline because it's really not a Spider-Man story at all. No. Like Spider-Man kind of ends up in the middle of it and it's more of a Moon Knight story uh, that has kind of migrated over here. Spider-Man makes enough appearances that you can still call it a Spider-Man book, if not a, really essentially a Spider-Man story. And again, you have all these other characters, which it's interesting that, I, I mean, New Warriors was doing fine, so I guess they're like, well, let's have some synergy. And, you know, Punisher's always a seller, so let's bring in Punisher. It's just such an odd pairing of characters to kind of throw all together, but really it's a Moon Knight story. And Moon Knight doesn't even appear for the first like couple issues. either. <laughs> yeah. That I was going to make that point too. It's like you were telling, saying this is a Moon Knight story. It's not a Spider-Man story, but Moon Knight isn't even in it for half of the half of the thing here. It each issue in the series adds another guest star. So it's like we start off with one guest star, and then each issue uh, we add another one. And we have Dark Hawk, who is a brand new character at this point. So I'm sure that he's in this book to help sell the book. And I believe Dark Hawk is a Danny Fingeroth character 
I believe that's correct. So it would make sense to have him be for, for you know editor say, hey, you think you could throw in Darkhawk here because <laughs> uh, Sp- you know in a <laughs> Spider-Man book that should give the characters a character a boost and um, Punisher of course is always going to bring in some numbers. Not that Spider-Man needed uh, a boost of that sort of thing, but maybe Punisher needed a boost at that point at that time. Yeah, it's it's hard to tell. I mean, actually, you know what? Maybe Spider maybe they felt Spider-Man did need the boost because if you think about it, Eric Larson just left. You know, like he he just left a, a couple issues earlier. Uh, he you know, and right you know, you had McFarlane going right into Larson, and those were huge critical you know commercial draws. They're putting on a guy who yes has done well in New Warriors, but no one knows how people are going to take his Spider Man. It's going to be a different take, and they're you know they've been more cartoony with the McFarlane and uh, well especially the Larson era. So it, maybe they were worried about Spider Man. You know, they, they're having a change in artist, and maybe that might take some time for people to warm up, which is impossible to even imagine considering how well i especially for me i highly regard bagley as a spider-man artist he's probably one of my favorites of all time but at the time he was you know not a totally known quantity for this style of book so maybe they thought let's bring in some other people to help you know make sure that this sells especially during a fill-in period it's a fill-in story really with al milgram uh doing this you know these six issues so i don't know maybe maybe there's more here going on than meets the eye yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I, I could totally see that. And another thing that Marvel really liked to do also is that when they would cancel a title, they would tie up loose ends in another book, just so that there's, you know, to bring closure to some characters and such. So I feel like that's kind of what's happening here. I don't, like I said, I, I should have checked the dates before, uh, before we recorded this. So I don't know if Moon Knight was currently going or this is just Midnight's ending. But yeah, I'll, I'll give a brief recap of uh, this one issue here we we meet midnight he is part of a uh the secret the secret empire which is a underground organization like hydra or aim that dates back to the 60s uh, like all those other ones as well um but midnight breaks <laughs> thunderball out of jail thunderball is one of the wrecking crew and darkhawk happens to be there and uh to stop him spider-man helps helps uh helps out and they get away and that's pretty much what happens in this issue of course they draw it out with some big fight scenes the punisher makes a cameo because we know he's going to show up at, at some point but one of the most disappointing things to me in this issue is right at the very beginning we see midnight and of course if you've been following moon knight and you know the saga of of midnight midnight uh at one point took over as Moon Knight uh, when Mark Spector wasn't able to do it. And then he mm-hmm. was apparently killed. And so to see Midnight come back, it's a big, big surprise. And we, it's a big mystery. We don't know how that happened or why that happened. And then they spoil it right at the beginning. They tell us right off the bat that he's a cyborg now. And it's yeah. like that. I would have loved for that to be a big reveal in fact, at the end of this very issue, Spider-Man unmasks him and he's shocked because he's a cyborg. We could, the reader could have been shocked alongside Spider-Man, but instead we already knew, which is too bad. It is too bad. I'm just looking at chronology. It looks like the uh, Midnight's last appearance before this storyline would have been about eight months previous in Mark Spector, Moon Knight, number 24. That book went on far past this, though. So it was still going on while... Uh, while this storyline was happening. Okay. But uh, yeah, but but at least Midnight had been seen relatively recently about eight or nine months ago. Now it looks like 
Uh, the writer changed right afterwards. So you went from Chuck Dixon writing Moon Knight to having a bunch of other uh, writers doing it. You had Howard Mackey do an episode or an issue, and then you had J.M. DeMatteis doing it. So obviously the book went into a different direction. Um, so it kind of makes sense that they wanted to kind of, you know, draw some closure to this era. That makes sense then. Okay, thanks for checking that out. So what do you think of Moon Knight as a kind of a, sorry, Moon Knight, Midnight as an, as an antagonist here? Well, based on this issue, he actually seems pretty formidable. I mean, he breaks down walls, takes out all the cops. He he can hold his own against Spider-Man and Darkhawk. Um, I like that he's full of mystery and that we don't really know much about him. So I think he's kind of cool. I mean, he's he's kind of plain and generic otherwise, but he at least he can hold his own. What do you think? Um, you know, I'm torn because like he's, he, he is pretty generic in general. Like if this was just a brand new character as an enforcer for the secret empire, he'd be nothing but bland, but at least injecting the fact that, you know, he has a bit of a history with, with Moon Knight and how he feels about Moon Knight that at least, you know, again, adds a little bit more depth. Um, again, it's, it's weird to see the secret empire in a Spider-Man story because it kind of doesn't feel like his usual beat. None of this feels like Spider-Man's usual bag, to be honest. Right. Yeah. Very true. Like he he's usually fighting against like the kingpin and like regular thugs and not like you know uh, you know this heavily organized you know terrorist faction or organization like that's more of maybe Captain America's thing or it just it's it's not quite a Spider Man thing. Well, and that's probably why they loaded up with guest stars as well. Guest stars that I guess also don't really have anything to do with this except for Punisher. Punisher would go up against these guys. How do you feel about the name of the title? Like they you know Round Robin, the Sidekicks Revenge, like. Why, why even call it Round Robin? Like I understand the sidekicks' revenge, you know, it's it's mid, midnight's revenge on you know Moon Knight, etc. But what do you think about the the Round Robin? Like it's just because we have so many different heroes cycling in and out, or what's going on here? Well, actually, that's something that was just played in the clip um, that you didn't listen to because I didn't play oh, it for you. My bad. <laughs> but I, I will say that uh, Milgram, or I guess it was Danny's idea to call it Round Robin because the Robin um, limited series had just come out oh. and it was huge. And so they wanted to kind of that's right take advantage of that that popularity by catching people's eye by having the word Robin on the cover. Well that's funny. Like like having the spider webs underneath it wouldn't distract them. <laughs> and I'm fine with that. I mean it's it makes sense. It feels like it should be bigger, you know? Like doesn't it feel like there should be multiple sidekicks all converging together as opposed to one guy? I mean, it is the sidekicks revenge, I guess, not the sidekicks revenge, but it just feels like <laughs> it, it could be bigger, not quite as small, you know? Well, I mean, we do have, like, by the end of this miniseries, there are six or seven heroes altogether, so it gets it gets pretty big. Yeah. But it just, I don't know if, if, he, if Midnight always feels like he earns it. Or um, In the second chapter here, where you have, again, Night Thrasher joining the fray, um, I do like to have Spider-Man just throwing Darkhawk. Yeah. yeah. It, just, it just looks silly, but like, you know, it's a classic kind of trope. And this is the way they're going to be able to, you know, stop this drone from killing this this poor handicapped lady. Like, she couldn't just be a regular lady or an old lady. It has to be a handicapped old lady. Right, right. Well, because then she can't get out of the way fast. I do think it's interesting to have Spider-Man again. Like, this is not the first time we've already seen this because we just saw him dealing with Nova, who again was a younger hero, and now he's dealing with you know Darkhawk. And it definitely makes me think of the fact that you know we're seeing Spider-Man really age out of where he used to be. Like he was always kind of at school, etc., and still is kind of always the young kid. But now you're populating the Marvel universe with all these younger heroes. So when he's talking to them, like he's the older person, and 
eventually Marvel's going to find themselves in a problem with this because they feel like they've aged him too much and they have to kind of bring him back and make him perpetually super young. But it's interesting that this is at the point of development that they're okay with Peter starting to develop past that. And now he's becoming more of a mentor, which is obviously a big difference, but I was liked. And again, I was like that you could kind of read Spider-Man through and you aged with him or could age with him as he matured. So would you? Yeah. Yeah. Not every hero is like that. And eventually Spider-Man stops aging as well. Like here, when he talks to Darkhawk and he's telling him about, you know, his origin and, you know, it's still kind of affecting to him because, you know, it's still something that's very close to him. You know, I bought that moment. It did feel like, you know, him trying to impart wisdom, whether or not Darkhawk would really care. That's not really the point, but he was trying. And if you read more modern team ups with like characters like Kamala Khan, like they play Sp- Spider-Man more jokey and not nearly as serious and being able to actually be a mentor that people would want to look up to, which is unfortunate yeah. because, again, this is a Spider-Man who... You would listen to. You'd be like, "Yeah, he makes his jokes, his horrible quips sometimes, but you know, he definitely feels like he comes from a real place." There's a sincerity to the character where, in more modern versions, it feels like he's just played sometimes too silly, kind of like Deadpool, where the characters can have a silly side, but they sometimes people lean too hard into it. Well, Deadpool is just an R-rated Spider-Man, right? So, <laughs> yeah, but they've, they've gone too far in terms yeah. of the silly. One of my favorite modern Spider-Man moments, though, is right after Johnny Storm dies, Spider-Man has an amazing conversation with Franklin. Absolutely touching. Uh, And that's the Spider-Man that that you're talking about here. The one that can be serious and impart wisdom. One that that other people, younger people, will want to listen to. And that's what happens with Franklin. It's an incredible, incredible scene. Oh, people can still write him that way if they feel like it. It just feels like more and more writers don't. But, I mean, I think that was Jonathan Hickman writing him. And, yeah, that was an emotional touch point. And it felt very natural because these two people have both lost their uncles. You know, and what kind of impact does that have on you? And it's interesting because so often in comic books, it's usually people losing, again, a parent. But something interesting about it being, you know, slightly removed from not being your mother or your father, but still someone who mattered a great deal to you. Obviously, with Peter, it is his surrogate father, but still at the core of it is his uncle. Totally. Um, we're going to see um, a trend throughout these issues. We're going to get uh, origin stories, one origin story per issue, I believe, uh, based on these characters okay. here. So in this in this issue, we get the Spider-Man origin story. And it's nice to see Mark Bagley drawing scenes that are directly out of Amazing Fantasy 15 and putting his own little spin on them. I, I love it when different artists just kind of do that one-page recap of, of his origin and they just mm-hmm. take those scenes and interpret them in their own way. Very cool. Oh, for sure. I love here that, you know, we have Spider-Man's a reserve Avenger, so he can just go to Avengers Mansion. He can talk to Captain America and get him in touch with Moon Knight. Like, that actually feels very natural. Like, it doesn't feel, you know, shoehorned in, like, oh, this is just another appearance. It feels like, again, because you're dealing with a Moon Knight character, it feels very natural that, of course, he would go to the source and being able to go talk to Captain America, who doesn't get involved in the storyline, which is interesting because they easily could have. Uh, but, you know, just the fact that you have Spider-Man expanding his network. He's just, he's not just a solo artist. He's also able to do other things. And so he's hes an Avenger. So with that, he's actually able to go and tap into some of the resources. That's something that's widely underused the few times when he was a reserve Avenger. And I love it. Captain America's like, you just you could have just contacted him through your Avengers ID card. <laughs> like, you didn't have to but come all the way Captain here. America in this comic. Well, exactly. And um, Moon Knight was on the West Coast Avengers for a little while. So he's got, he's a reserve, a reserve Avenger as well. Nowadays, mm-hmm. they just have iPhones and they could text each other. Yeah, no, I know. 
it's interesting. Um, on page two sixty one, you have Spider Man's about to, you know, eat dinner at home, and then he decides he has his spider sense go off, and so he runs off and he gets undressed and goes through the skylight. And this, I feel like this is one of the few times in this volume uh, where we have the reappearance of the kind of the horny Spider Man, or at least the horny MJ, yeah, which was right. definitely during the Michelini, McFarlane, and Larson eras. Uh, it feels very toned down once Bagley comes on board. It's I don't think they ever really do that again, which I am well, very appreciative of because I kind of I don't know why I like this kind of weird asexual Spider-Man where like he's romantic <laughs> with his partners, but we don't really see it or talk about it. I don't know why. It's probably because again I came to Spider-Man when I was like younger, and so I always liked him being in relationships. I'm fine with that, but when they kind of start talking about it a little bit more risque or like hope you're ready for me, or I'm like uh, I don't need that. Right. I don't need it to be sexy. You know, I, I, it's enough to know it exists. If you just show me a, a good passionate kiss, that's probably enough. You know, like I don't need, I could just have a door close and I can read into it if I want to, as opposed to having to hear them talking about stuff. Yeah, that's definitely something that um, that kind of smooths out through the early 90s, but then comes back again as we get into the more extreme mid 90s. Mm. And it just depends on the creators that, that are on the book at the time, I think. Yeah, like I don't feel a need for Spider-Man to be that sexy. But that's just me. <laughs> uh, okay, are we ready to move on to part three? Yeah, you know, if, if, in some ways, I feel like we're moving really quickly through it, but at the same time, like there's not a lot really happening. Like it's a lot of action sequences of you know of Nova fighting uh, Midnight. You have Night Thrasher becoming involved because you know he's not sure what's going on with Nova and like, you know, Spider-Man an enemy and then Moon Knight shows up. Like it's a lot of characters all kind of showing up at the same time. But again, it's, it's just kind of a long drawn out fight sequences as opposed to having real meat to it. Yeah. There, there also is though, like sub stories that are going on behind the scenes that there's a whole Punisher storyline, like Punisher's tracking down money laundering and, and it's going to eventually lead him to where he wants to be. And then there's also the midnight story where he's trying to figure out um, his past. Cause he doesn't remember a whole bunch of stuff. And he's working with this doctor, Dr. Lynn, what's her name? Lynn church. Mm-hmm. And so yep. there are, there are different threads that are going through here, but uh, yeah, when you just kind of uh, look at it overall, it's, it is kind of a bunch of just a bunch of padding, a bunch of this filler. person fights this person. This yeah. person fights that person. <laughs> and as we get into the, the as, as further we get into this story here, then it's even more fighting because we have even more heroes in one book and they all have mm-hmm. to have their moment. So we've, we're already up to four now. We've got Spider-Man, Nova, Darkhawk, and Night Thrasher. And now Moon Knight joins at the end of this issue. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of people. Well... On, on 267, you have uh, the cover to 355, and, you know, a little bit of uh, being a little bit meta here. It's, hey, whose mag is this anyway? Because you have all these other characters. And there's so much busyness on this cover. because It's not elegant, because you have, like, the, the round robin at the top saying this is part of the sidekick's revenge. Then you have a little box saying that's part three of six. You have another box saying it's now on sale twice a month. You have another box saying who's in the issue. Plus, you have the dialogue. There is so much busyness. Did you notice that each of these covers is inked by a different person? You know, I didn't, but it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, the first one, and it's actually kind of cool. The first one is Randy Emberlin. The second part is yep. inked by Eric Larson. And if you look, it's got a oh. very kind of Eric Larson-ish kind of style, especially his Nova. The third part here is Klaus Jansen. And part four, uh, you can see all their signatures, is Ramita. John Ramita Sr., I believe. Oh, really? Yep. 
And then part six is, oh, who is that? PCR. I don't recognize the style. Hmm. I didn't realize that. Um, yeah, that's, I didn't realize I was Ramita's senior too. That, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's really cool because he's, uh, of course, longtime Spider-Man artist back to do some more Spider-Man. Oh, of course. So, yeah, that's really, now, really neat. Part, part three here, this issue 355, this is the one, yeah, if you look at it, it says, you know, Mark Bagley's the layouter and Randy Amberlin's the finisher. And it's pretty not, like there's some pages where you can tell this is, you know, full pencils by uh, by Bagley, like page two, one and two, really. And then when you get to, you know, three and four, that doesn't feel like Bagley's <sighs> art. Like, again, it's, oh, yeah, it's his layouts. But- yep. The giant panel with uh, Night Thrasher and Moon Knight, uh, like jumping out of the <sighs> copter there. Yeah, it, that's pretty rough. It just is not even the same style of shadows. No, it's, none of it's the same. It's it's pretty poor. Yeah, there's just so much. Um, all of these these secret empire guys coming out of the woodwork. Um, there's so much crowded action scenes that, of course, it's it's going to take Bagley forever to 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 do full pencils on this. And so, if you go to page two seventy four in this collection, uh, there's mm-hmm. a, the middle panel is Spider Man going schwa-quam with all of the bad guys and knocking them all over the place. And man, just some of these drawings, the perspective is weird and it's not something that you would see from Mark Bagley. Like the one guy in the top left corner, his neck is kind of, his head isn't on, isn't screwed on properly. No, he's dead. He's dead. (laughs) So it just, it just, uh, (laughs) it's definitely not Mark Bagley's full pencils for sure. No, I actually, I mean, it's interesting. So some characters, you can tell that they're able to do better work on them. Like, I actually really like Moon Knight throughout this issue because I thought the shadows look really nice on him and he looks pretty cool. Um, but yeah, Night Thrasher looks like really garish. Um, you have these other characters, uh, what is the Seekers, who I've never heard of before. And I like that Danny Fingeroth makes sure that we know where we've seen him before because he's bringing yeah. them each time. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. And then, again, they just feel like they're just kind of thrown in there to give you know, the, the hero is someone else to fight and to quickly take kind of take Punisher out of the battle, which is kind of weird that you're going to bring in the Punisher, who's this, you know, awesome badass and almost almost uh, immediately, you know, sideline him where he's barely able to be alive. Like he's just passing out all the time. Like it, it feels like kind of a waste. But yeah. at least they do try to figure out a way to keep Night Thrasher involved by, again, having a Midnight abduct Nova. So he has got personal stake in the game. So I do appreciate that. Again, we have another origin retelling. We have the Punisher remembering his uh, his past. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting. Again, but the art is, is, is disorienting. We start getting the idea that there's a little bit more going on here in terms of uh, one of the, I guess, the women, the technicians, nurse, I don't know what you want to call her, who's looking after Midnight. It's a a weird issue. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So at one point, Spider-Man puts a spider tracer on midnight. And then I don't know why this never occurred to me before, but just reading this midnight can identify that Spider-Man is after him because the spider tracer is shaped like a spider. It's like, why does Spider-Man make his spider tracer shaped like a a spider? (laughs) Because it looks cool. It does. It looks great. But now he's got the bad guy and he's lost his advantage. If it was just a generic tracer, then he still might be able to uh, have some t- have some advantage or something. But heh, whatever. Sorry, Spider-Man. Yeah. So that brings us to, what, 356? So now we're in part four of six and then we've got the roll call. So Spider-Man, Night Thrasher, Moon Knight, and let's not forget the Punisher and Nova. Yeah, this, this is uh, where the 
story kind of kicks up into high gear because we just found out a little twist at the end of the last issue that the 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 nurse Lynn Church is um actually she we think that she's on Midnight's side but uh, really is out for her own self and wants the technology that's making him really strong. So through this issue we we see kind of all the pieces sort of coming together. All the the players, mm-hmm. the Punishers finally met up with them. We find out what kind of the bigger picture is, uh, Nova and Thunderball's role in it, and um, everything is coming together. So now we're at the point where the, our heroes can start taking things down. They can formulate their plan, infiltrate the base, and figure out how to to take down Midnight. And it's interesting because this is this this is where we get the the big kind of heel turn too, where you know Midnight realizes he's he can't be controlled by them anymore. He actually takes out his uh, the people kind of commanding him to do their bidding, uh, which definitely again at least pushes the storyline in a new direction because now you have you know before it was Moonlight was spread Midnight was being manipulated by you know the Secret Empire to do their bidding, and he had this thing implanted in him so he couldn't really rebel against them. Now he can. Now he's able to kill them and try and take control. So definitely kind of pushes things in the in a new direction. I still think six issues is way too long, but at least we are moving the narrative in a new direction. Yeah. What did you think of the uh, the art in this issue? Again, it felt more on point. It felt more like, you know, kind of classic um, vaguely, although it's interesting that the coloring on Moon Knight feels like it's changed completely because the previous issue, you had so much of the blacks being accentuated and here he's gone full white again. Hmm. Yeah, I think the art definitely is back up to its previous, not maybe not quite its previous standard, but um, you can still tell just with a lot of the, like there's a lot of plain backgrounds or very sparse backgrounds um, that, that show that he was kind of rushing through things. So I would be too, if I had to create this many issues. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's totally understandable. There is a reference on page 302 um, that I want to, point out here because it's such a a random and for the 90s even it's an out-of-date reference that people i don't think would get really get spider-man in the top panels running along the wall and midnight and uh sorry moon knight and night thrasher are running after him he says we'll we'll get to midnight soon enough but right now i'm more more worried about lamont cranston you know the shadow (laughs) it's like Lamont Cranston was the guy who did the voice of the shadow in the old radio show decades before this this comic ever came out. It's a it's a bizarre reference. So who's the reference for? Well, I think talking about the shadow that's just around the corner. It yeah, the joke also doesn't really play. So it's just it's a it's a weird thing. Yeah, let's move on to the next part here. This is Amazing Spider-Man number 357, Sidekicks, Round Robin, The Sidekicks Revenge, part five of six. This one has a bizarre title, A Bagel with Nova. And uh, right? it, it's, <laughs> it's just so funny. But in this one, uh, Punisher decides that he is going to go undercover disguised as a secret empire agent. And he infiltrates their organization, frees Nova, who contacts the gang and uh, Nighthawk randomly returns because he's been gone for a couple of issues. Oh yeah, this is the issue where we get uh, Nighthawk's origin story. Yeah, he returns and we find out that Lynn, Lynn Church, is now a cyborg. It does. It does feel like a weird kind of heel turn. Like I don't. 
I guess they had this in mind, but it just feels very like I thought she was trying to help him or maybe have some like, sinister ideas. And then suddenly she's just like, nope, I'm a cyborg. I'm going to kill people. Like, okay. I don't exactly know why they wanted, they had to put her in here. I guess what they wanted to do was have a real villain because Midnight is a hero. So he's going to have to have some sort of redemption at the end. So if in order for us to have mm. to get some sort of redemption, um, then we have to have an actual real villain that we can hoist all of the blame onto, right? Yeah, that's true. And I mean, this issue is interesting. I mean, we, we haven't talked about it because he hasn't really played a huge part. But I mean, again, you also have Thunderball here who's in... They use him more for the science stuff, which I do appreciate because I feel like Thunderball is never used for his mind. Um, but then when they do kind of use him as, uh, you know, having a threat. Again, I guess he doesn't have his real powers here, so he has this weird new armor, and he just feels like an afterthought. Like, it doesn't really feel like he's part of the story. Yeah. They just need another another person for them to fight against, otherwise there's too many of them. Right, well, why didn't they just keep the, the Seekers? Because those guys just showed mm-hmm. up in one issue, and then they're gone. Yeah, it's kind of a haphazardly thrown-together, I don't know, team book. no i just i wasn't sure if ever they ever really thought maybe they could do something with this team like i wonder if they ever thought of maybe we could do a a team with spider-man leading them where you know it's but i don't know what who that would have helped because again this you know combination of heroes steals two people from new warriors but it's just an interesting choice to you know was there ever a thought of what they could do more with these characters or you know having spider-man be part of a team because it feels like they don't really build off of that and again Part of that's because it's Milgram only doing six issues and then jumping back out. It just feels weird they kind of have something so disconnected from where Michelini is going to go afterwards. Yeah. In fact, Michelini, he doesn't pay any attention to this miniseries at all. He completely <laughs> ignores it, doesn't make any reference to it. And in fact, all of and, and all of the threads, the ongoing threads that are happening in Michelini's stories, they aren't brought up in this, these six issues that also Milgram's not paying attention to what Michelini is doing either. It's just very much a, um, a, a, a story that's just kind of dropped in here uh, because they needed some filler for this biweekly, uh, the biweekly schedule that they were doing. Yeah. Just, just strange. Just strange. Yeah. There's so much potential for there to be a really cool reason for the secret empire to be doing what they're doing and stuff, but it just kind of falls flat. What's so fascinating about this to me is that, so like we just read this, we're like, yeah, it's okay. At times the vaguely art is nice when he's on point, but there's a bunch of times where he looks really rushed and the storyline just kind of feels a little bit haphazard, but you got to remember in 1994, they reprinted this in a very early version of a trade paperback. Like they didn't put a lot of Spider-Man stories in trade paperbacks in 1994. And yet somehow round Robin, the sidekicks revenge got that treatment. It's a little bit crazy. Yeah, well, it must have gone over well, and how I can understand that with all of the guest stars. Now, I have a question for you here. There's a scene with Night Thrasher. It's on page 321. He's at a costume. He's at okay. the the base, the New Warriors base, wherever that is. And one of his fellow New Warriors, Silhouette, comes and, and talks to him, saying that, you know, you should help. Why doesn't Night Thrasher bring the rest of the New Warriors to help find their teammate, Nova? You think it would be in all of their best interests? You would think that. I think my only, um, uh, no, not even a no prize, but in, earlier in, I think, the first two issues before this started, I think Nova did mention that the New Warriors were on vacation. Uh, okay, <laughs> I missed that. 
<laughs> I mean, it's flimsy. Don't don't get me wrong. It's dumb. But I'm pretty sure he mentions that the new warriors are on vacation, and that's why he can't get them to help. Yeah. Or he has to do this on his own. I could be I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I read that. And again, you could just say, well, I guess that's still true. Yeah, I guess so. They're still on vacation, ex- except for Silhouette here, who happens to be in this scene. She decided not to go on vacation. Yeah, I guess she's back from vacation. <laughs> and she couldn't help. She's not. She doesn't care about Nova, who's missing and kidnapped. I mean, maybe she wasn't really, you know, well equipped to do it. I don't know. Like, it's it's hard to tell. Yep. It, it's such a. You're right. It is weird. Like, it's almost like you had Captain America earlier. He could have called them the Avengers. Right. Exactly. Or yeah. Why is this, why doesn't Captain America say, "Hey, do you need a hand with that? I've got nothing else going on right now." Yeah, I mean, it's one of those. It's one of the downsides of a shared universe, right? Is that then it just feels like, well, why wouldn't you ask that person to help you all the time? Yeah. Um, and you kind of have to just not think of it that way. You have to just kind of go with where it wants you to go. You you were mentioning earlier, or just a, a second ago, about how Spider Man could lead a team and how maybe there was potential for this to be a a team book that just went somewhere. And it reminded me that it's not long after this, that Spider-Man actually does join the new warriors when, when Ben Riley is Spider-Man. Yeah, I guess, I mean, it's, it it feels far enough away. Like I, I feel like that's about three and a half to four years away, which I guess is not far, but it's, it's a different guy. But at that point, the new warriors book really had gone so far away from, I guess, its original premise. And it was definitely, if you look at the New Orders issues from that time, like the art was definitely becoming a little bit over crazy and stylized. The storylines were a little bit crazier too. And then they just kind of need the sales to go up. So how best to do that, but bring over, uh, you know, Scarlet Spider to join the team. Yep, true enough. But I mean, that still shows that Spider-Man could be part of a team book. I mean, he also was in Avengers yeah. for years and years as well. So, well, not even that long after this, when Maximum Carnage, he's basically running his own team, too. I mean, it was never right. like a formalized thing, but he's always able to lead teams. Uh, it's just something that we didn't get ever get to see much of. That You just made me think that I think that Maximum Carnage is a better version of Round Robin. No one has ever said anything about Maximum Carnage in a positive light before <laughs> like that. But that's not a way. Not a bad way of looking at it. Like I love yeah. Maximum Carnage because so do I'm I. a nostalgic person who can't help but uh, you know it's, I can see the flaws, but I just don't care. Uh, but you're right. I think this is you see the ideas of having a big threat that he has to kind of uh, you know slowly have different heroes join the fight and they're all going to team up. Yeah, Maximum Carnage definitely does it better. Well, shall we finish off this storyline with part six? Oh my god, are we not done part six? I thought we were done with part six. I think that <laughs> I think we still have part it's, six here. The conclusion. Uh, it's a there's a, yeah. a wraparound cover that doesn't print very well in the epic collection because of the gutter loss, which is too bad. It is too bad. Al Milgram is the inker on this cover. Oh, really? Interesting. It's yeah, it's 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 weird. It, you know, it, it's it's fine. It's just it feels like very perfunctory. Like it just feels like you know any elements of the plot are kind of more or less done now. But it's just throw all the, it, it. Here are all my action figures. I put them all together. Let's throw them together. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Lynn's backstory is told through exposition. And yeah, it's just there, this one is cram packed with wall to wall action pretty much the entire time, uh, which I guess is something that you would want from a big climax that has seven different heroes and a bunch of different villains as well. You'd want there to be a big fight. It's like that's what Civil War, mm-hmm. Captain America Civil War was so great because 
the climax, which actually was the middle of the movie, not the end of the movie, was everybody coming together. Like that's that's what everybody's here for. So if they didn't have that, I think I would feel cheated. Yeah, no, you're right. You kind of need that. Um, just for a moment, uh, if we go back to page 258, which is back during part two, at the bottom half of the page, it's when uh, Nova talks about the rest of the New Warriors being on vacation. Oh, okay. <laughs> so they did They did try to build it in there. With the rest of the New Warriors on vacation, I guess this is as good a time as any for me and Thrasher to continue to bend fences, which I feel like <laughs> they didn't really do a lot of effort to show that at all. Right, right. But in theory, you, you gave them a reason to you know to for him not to have the rest of the new warriors and for you know him and night thrasher to maybe have some tension that would make out everything a little bit more exciting i don't think they really delivered on it but in theory the promise was there so in this scene i really felt milgram's dialogue was a little on the cheesy side um particularly mm. because spider-man <laughs> keeps calling all of the other heroes by nicknames and it would be fine yes. if he would if there was just one hero that has nicknames, but there's but instead it's it's Mooney and Punny and Midi and Bunny and like there's just a whole bunch of different silly names that he's calling people. And it just got a little bit much. It was just constantly throughout this 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 one issue in particular. I I can't remember if it was through the other ones as well. <laughs> would you ever want to see Midnight come back? Uh, he does come back. Him and Lynn oh, both yeah. do come back in Moon Knight Volume 3. Oh, yes. And I think they die again in that one as well. So, you know, they never stay dead. <laughs> um, I, I don't really care for Midnight or Lynn Church at all. So it doesn't matter to me if they come back or not. Did, did you like the Midnight character at all? Like when he was actually like, you know, a good guy, like a good character? Did you, did you find him interesting? Did you... You know, like if you had cared about, like, did you ever care about that character? Were you kind of sad to see what happened to him? Or did you already know that before when you kind of read that version of the character? I had read this uh, round robin story first. Okay. So I already knew the path that this character was going to go. And uh, I already didn't like him from this story. So I didn't care about him when I w read Moon Knight issues either. It didn't change my opinion going back and reading, reading him. It was, he's just kind of a, He's there. He didn't make a huge impact on me one way or the other. I'm going to throw something out, which I don't know if is in any way correct, but do you think it's possible that when they were like, okay, we need a six issue story. We're not really sure who we want to be involved, but we'd like it to be a bunch of heroes. Maybe do you think it's possible that, uh, you know, Chuck Dixon who had just left Moon Knight and left, you know, potential, uh, you know, threads around. You think they maybe had like Milgram maybe even asked him like, Hey, you want me to use this character? Or you think Chuck Dixon was just too busy or maybe annoyed that he wouldn't write this book himself and how Milgram ended up getting the job. Like, I'm just curious, how do you, and maybe you already played this in a, in a clip. And so I apologize, but it's just interesting <laughs> that you interrupt Michelinie's run to throw in a Milgram story. Who's never really written a lot of Spider-Man. Where does this come from? Right. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure that, uh, no, you know what? I do know, and this was played in the clip, this is Danny's story that he got Milgram to write. Okay. Interesting. Because I'm just, I'm just surprised that Fingeroth would really, like, really, again, this is a Moon Knight story, right? This is a Midnight story. Yep. Spider-Man happens to play a role, but it feels very much like a Midnight story and something that matters to Midnight's characters. So it's just interesting that that's, you know, the story he'd want to pitch. But I guess, you know, it allows you to bring in a lot of different characters if you can find a way to kind of make it as organic as possible. They definitely did their best. Like, I've seen a lot clumsier 
versions of, of roping heroes into you know stories where they don't really belong. So, oh, sure. so it's far from the worst. And Spider-Man does fine here. But again, when it's his book, it feels weird to have him play second banana. Whereas, again, if we look at this as kind of a dry run for Maximum Carnage, Maximum Carnage always felt like a Spider-Man story. Yes, Venom was in there and so was Car- and Carnage, obviously. But it was a lot about Spider-Man also confronting his own ideals. And if maybe it was outmoded in the world he was part of now and him having to deal with what that meant and maybe being left behind as people became darker and more violent. Whereas here, he was not the main character. Right. He is just along for the ride. Um, the he, he plays a bigger role at the beginning of the story, of course, because he's like the only guy there. But once you add more and more people, the other people have the bright ideas. The other people put the picture together. The other people are the one who take out the bad guys. Spider-Man kind of just doesn't really have a whole lot of i mean spider-man has a big fight with midnight at the end as well but so does everybody so i don't yeah. know yeah you know what I, I think if you if you had taken this six six issue story and you put it in uh marvel team up it would have felt right at home yeah yeah you're totally right absolutely it really would feel right at home it that's very much what this is it takes all the boxes <laughs> okay well we did it we got through those six issues that takes up the bulk of this book and we can move on to something else and we'll do that another time so next time we're talking about what three three fifty nine three sixty the one shot and the annuals right yes perfect okay great thanks for doing this adam appreciate it all right